Younger is back. Season six premiered last night and fans everywhere are officially rejoicing. I'm Taylor Strecker, Younger superfan and host of the only podcast dedicated to all things Younger. This season, we're sitting down with the show's writers, directors, and cast to bring you the stories behind the storylines. We'll go even deeper inside the show, ask the questions you really want answered, and uncover what it takes to make Younger. This is Younger Uncovered. It's time to uncover the season premiere, and I'm very excited to welcome two of the show's writers and producers and my favorite power couple, Dottie and Eric Zicklin. Hi, guys. Hello, hello. Hello, Hi, hello. Taylor. Hi, thank you for joining me. Welcome back. It's been, that was a fast year. Yeah, it's I know. Sure. Back in the same chair, I think. Yeah, the fans seem to think that it's uh, been too long. Actually, that's true. true. It has been torture, and I've missed you guys very, very, very much. Let's just get right into this episode, because it's so incredible, and we have a ton to unpack. Okay, so I have pages and pages. So you two have been with Younger since the very beginning. So is there a big difference in how you approach a script now that you're in season six? Well, Dottie's uh, not face-to-face with us, but when you agree that... uh, Things um, have taken a, a shorthand in some ways because we understand each other better in the room. So maybe sometimes, not every time, it's um, more abbreviated what we mean because we all understand one another. You have like shorthand you speak. Would you agree, Dot? Yeah, I do. And I don't think we approach stories differently than we did from the first season. We are always coming up from a place where we love our characters. We want to be true to our characters and true to the stories. But it just gets harder every year because there's in the early seasons there's very obvious stories like low-hanging fruit like Liza's first time sleeping with a younger man that's a very you, that's a story that's you have to tell that story if you're telling the story of someone lying about their age and it becomes more and more challenging as you pick the low-hanging fruit but I think we get deeper and deeper into the characters that's true it is harder in the series in its sixth season than in the first season in that way yeah So first thing first, though, you guys are writing partners. So what is your process when you're preparing to write an episode together? And you're also married. (laughs) We're also married. You guys are aware of that. (laughs) We say say all the time that writing is the easiest thing we partner together on because we also have a 15-year-old son and that's its own challenges. Um, But what we do is we start in the writer's room. We all talk about all the stories. Then we each select an episode that w- that resonates with us. And then Eric and I sit down together and write an outline, which is a description of every scene we're going to write and the basic idea of it. Then we take it back to the writer's room and back to Darren, and he revises that, and the re- writers help us revise it. And then usually for the script itself, Eric and I split up scenes, and we take them away and write them separately. Mm-hmm. And then we pass each other pages to revise. How did you guys get started as a writing team? This is our first show that we've done as a writing team. Yes. We've been separate writers. Really? Yeah. How did that come to be? It was the uh, necessities of parenting, I would say, uh, ah. led us to say, how can we pursue two careers separately? And someone is still home uh-huh. doing what is required to, uh, to be a parent. And the only lot, like we tried every possible way. And the final or the best answer has been, oh, what if we shared one job? Would that be possible? In that case, someone would be more available without being delinquent Mm -hmm. to also be home when needed. Case in point, Dottie is on the phone right now in in California. Yes, Yes? that's right. So it was born of necessity. 
And do you guys ever disagree on where storylines should go? Oh, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you resolve those issues? Well, we have, you know, all the levels of, of, of conflict that, that would be in any marriage. And then we do what Dottie says we should do. <laughs> so smart. Good man. Dottie, do you, agree? Really do you agree with that? that I do because I pout more. And I'm a spoiled sport, so I get my way more. No. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that we know that she is more connected heart to heart to so many of the characters. And, and that when it's time for Josh and Charles to talk to each other, maybe I can throw some of my clout around. But uh, Dottie's m- more connected to who the characters are than I could physically be. So that's another reason why it's easy to defer. Yes. So I want to talk about, because this is the season premiere episode, how you guys approach this episode in particular. Like, for example, do you know the resolution to the previous season's cliffhangers in advance? Or do you decide what's going to happen when you just start the new season? Like, for example, we left season five. Josh is is a dad, question mark. And now we have an answer in season six. Right. And he's a dad. So did you already have the answer to that before you started the season? Usually we don't know the cliffhangers. We are, we're challenging ourselves as writers to come up with that. And it's, it's scary. Uh, but with Josh, we all pretty much knew we had a small discussion about maybe the baby isn't his, but you know what? We wanted to tell that story. We wanted to tell the story of him actually being a dad, and that's the thing that Liza couldn't give him. And so we wanted it to be real. So we all pretty much knew that. And that it was so exciting to us, I think, that um, that kind of unlocks a barrier between Josh and Liza. Mm-hmm. That was the a sensible reason they broke up, and now it's going to be gone at right. some point. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? And how does that threaten her relationship with Charles? The end of last season, the end of season five, Charles and Liza were walking through Bryan Park, happy that they're now going to be out in public. And then we see kind of a shadow fall across their faces and telling us that, hey, problems are coming. In this first episode with Charles, Charles and Liza, we decided not to give them problems yet. Let's see them be a happy couple for a little bit. And But there is a promise that there's trouble on the horizon with Charles and Liza. And we will deliver on that. Well, and speaking of that, like like looking forward. So in the premiere, how much are you guys thinking about planting seeds for things that are going to develop throughout the season? Like the bombshells that Younger always delivers. Well, what Josh says at the end of 01, it was a timing that kept us apart and the baby possibility. The idea of being a father is what broke us up. And now here I am. I'm going to be a father, Josh says. Timing. You know that's going to ripple through the season. That's vital to the first episode, even though it's just the end of Act 3. Anyway, that's a small example. Yep. Dottie, do you have another example? Because I feel like there's more than one. We always plant seeds. And I like to think of our team like uh, almost like a relay race. So we're in in episode one. We're going to hand it off to Don Ruse in episode two, and he's going to hand it off to Allison Brown in episode three, and she's going to hand it off to Grant Sloss in episode four. And so we all confer to make sure we set up everything correctly for the next person to take the baton. And that's almost never done. You think you know what shape and form the baton is coming to you in Mm -hmm. and what shape and form it must be handed and then something changes in one of those other episodes and suddenly 
one of your you know fellow writers is saying, hey, by the way, she's not going to be mad by the end of my episode. They kiss instead. What? They can't kiss at the end of your episode because I need them to be mad for this other thing. And there was a lot of, of you need to – we are always in a, in a chain like – Thought he was saying like that baton uh, handoff is, is is right. It's uh, it's it's changing throughout because the process kind of doesn't stop until it must stop. And Taylor, I want to say one thing t- about that too. Working for Darren Star, one of the wonderful things is the writing is a process of discovery. So even though as a group you talk about ideas. Even though as a group you go through the outline and you almost know moment for moment what's going to happen in the script, as you're writing, if you get into that state where it's a flow state and the characters are actually talking, it doesn't even feel like you're writing, sometimes discoveries come up and you never expected them to happen in the writing. And Darren is open to that. And a lot of showrunners are not open to that. Right. It's fantastic to work for him. Because of that. Yeah, I was once taught uh, as a young staffing person that the outline is the contract that you walk out of the room with. Hmm. And that's your obligation is to to deliver on the outline and everything promised. Whereas I think on the show, if you were writing your outline and executing it into a draft, but things should go left instead of right in that moment and you just know it because you've been in it – I don't think you worry or wonder, like, but Darren will be mad. You say, like, no, this is what he would want, and I must, you know, pursue this, and everybody can. Uh, and people send alternate versions of their scenes in their drafts. And what if the ending was like this instead of like this? And 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 you're right. And that's what the, that's why the baton is changing shape, because Darren encourages, don't stop being creative just because we all agreed and shook hands back in whatever month. Let's keep improving. I love that. So you guys really, so even though you might like be planting seeds, you might not know what kind of a tree's going to pop up. Right. That's so right. cool. That's really cool. Also, I have to ask you when you're writing an episode, do you read the fan comments? And if so, do they pop into your mind when it comes to shaping the show and shaping the episodes? I did earlier and I stopped doing it. Interesting. Why? It got too much in my head. It really did. And and I think sometimes the very vocal fans aren't every fan. And I have to remember that. So I stopped reading them. Yeah. Yeah. It's one comment, two, three, fine. If it's thousands, maybe then it's a different story. But you guys will know that coming through. How do you feel, Eric? I like to read them. I read them on Facebook particularly. I take the attitude of I'm just going to scroll. There's lots of them to read. Um, I'm not necessarily reading every word of every person. But when I hear the same thing five times, 10 times, 15 times, I take that to be valid. Like Yelp reviews. You can't quote one. But if there's a consensus or a tone, I want to know. But I also think it's worth knowing that that's just, as Dottie's saying, that's the people most likely to sit down and type or who want to be heard. And you, you don't know what, whether that represents the real viewer viewer necessarily. It represents the ends of the spectrum. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yelp's not really a place where people just go to be, eh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so in this episode, let's get some deep diving going on. Liza and Charles both dropped the L-bombs. So what are you guys thinking about exploring as you write their relationship? Because it's been five seasons in the making. Well, Liza has had a married life. And then she had independence where she was pretending to be 26, 27 years old. That's a very wild and free and independent life. But now with Charles, in a way, it's taking a step back into that domestic adult life. 
And we really want to explore that this season. Eric, yeah. anything to add? You know, the, the writers had so many conversations and debates about just that subject. Like, is this a dream come true in many ways? Or is this a step backward into the domestic life? And that's what made it worth having the friction to find out what is it for her in real life? It would be just like this. It would be yeah. many things at once, right? So that's what it's like. I think at times it's wonderfully romantic and, and dreamlike, but there are a lot of problems <laughs> along the way. Good. That's what I want to hear. Also in this episode, thanks to page six, Liza has to keep pretending to be 28 in order to protect Kelsey. So tell us about your choice not to let Liza out of this like age lie, because we thought at the end of last season she was going to be free and clear. Yeah, so yeah. did everyone. So did everyone, Eric. Right? Why, why did this happen? I don't know, because the unexpected must occur. Dottie? <laughs> we don't like to let Liza off easy. So she's got to go through some more lying. She just has to. That's uh, it's, it's a sticky situation, but we like to throw her in those. Speaking of millennial, so millennials being entirely run by women at this point in the show, was this a conscious statement on your part or just a natural evolution of the story? I say it's a natural evolution of the story. And when things evolve, they can devolve. And that is also a natural evolution of the story and not a political comment. We're, we're going on a journey with our characters and not trying to make a statement about whether women should be in charge or not. I absolutely think women should be in charge. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's often a rocky road for them to get there. Well, speaking of that rocky road, so it, the book that's being pitched in this episode is called The Glass Cliff, and it's about women being put at the top just as the company's about to fall and the bottom drops out. So where did that book idea come from? Allison Brown, one of our writer-producers, brought in an article from The New Yorker called The Glass Cliff about this phenomenon. So we thought it was a fantastic article and would be a great book pitch for this premiere. And it's really fun to thematically link these book ideas with our story ideas. Yeah, because Kelsey has been pushed past where she ever expected. This was not oh, yeah. something she lobbied for or was being trained in any way or it was the next logical step. It was probably a three-step leap of some kind. Um, so she's not fully prepared. The show always seems to weave like these books into timely and relevant issues that are in the zeitgeist. So how does that come together? Like I've, I've asked other writers, like, do you guys have a crystal ball uh -huh. to predict the future? Or are you, is it just that you're constantly reading things? And, but I mean, it's almost like you're ahead of the curve. How does that happen? Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. I think part of that is Darren's sense of the zeitgeist. We come in with a lot of material. Like you said, we read always the Sunday book review. Um, Eric, you listen to like three podcasts, don't you? Like Publishers Weekly. And I love podcasts. I listen to the book podcasts just to hear what are they talking about in the actual book business uh -huh. that we are portraying? You know, how do they even talk necessarily? And what do they say? And But you, you spread a wide net. And Darren's a real reader of books. I don't read so many books. He really actually consumes books, fiction as well. And uh, so all of us, I think, are on the lookout in our different ways. And we all come in with what we think is either cool or relevant to our characters or what. But, you know, one, two, one out of ten might slip into the mm -hmm. show. It takes a lot of um, a looking and a wide range of searching to get something that's actually right on for Kelsey like this glass cliff was. 
Now, in this episode, Diana's reaction to finding out about Liza and Charles is super nuanced and wonderfully acted by Miriam Shore. So when she's kind of, it's almost like she has like a, a nonverbal reaction that's going through. Like you can just see the transition in her in her nonverbal facial movements. It, do you guys actually like write in the script what she's supposed to do with her face? Or is that like all Miriam Shore? That's all Miriam Shore. She knows exactly how to perform these moments. We just have to get it on camera. And thankfully, Miriam's directed two episodes now. So she's very aware of the camera, too, <laughs> which helps us. I was going to say, do you think that the fact that she's directed helps her also be that much more skilled as an actor? Absolutely. And she knows what the camera's covering more clearly than she ever has. Also, Kelsey and Zane have dinner, and he tells her not to lose Diana. Zane can be super callous, but when it comes down to it, he actually is kind of like a decent guy deep down inside. So how are you guys viewing the Zane-Kelsey dynamic? What are you wanting for them? Are they toxic or are they actually, you know, both good for each other? I feel like they never get to know each other well enough because they're both so ambitious. I think they kind of get in each other's way and they don't get to um, have a straight line of first date, second date, third date, getting to know one another, mm-hmm. um, which is great, which is wonderful for us. So they, I don't know, their relationship deepens in a sort of zigzaggy way. I would like to add that Kelsey and Zane need to learn to be vulnerable with each other. That's what they cannot do, and they can't be together until they can figure out how to do that, and that takes a lot of trust. We're going to have more episodes about that this season. Good. I like that little teaser. So now it's time for a breakdown of a scene. So this is something new that we're doing this season on the podcast. I'm super excited about it. So basically, we're going to take a deep, deep, deep dive into one scene from the episode. So here's the scene. Kelsey and Liza need to woo a disgruntled Diana back to Millennial, and they track her down at her favorite place, and which is also my favorite place, Marie's Crisis. So we get to actually see Sutton Foster, Hilary Duff, and Miriam Shore sing together, and it's epic and amazing and all things wonderful. So I want you guys to kind of set up the scene in your own words for us. So together, you're married after all. <laughs> Break down the scene for us like in your words. Just set it up for the audience. Well, one funny piece of background info is that it – came later in the process that at first that scene was going to occur in a restaurant and then involving the, you know, that statue in lower Manhattan of the fearless girl. Yeah. And it was going to kind of revolve around the fearless girl and we all liked it and it was it was going to be great. And then the fearless girl in real life was moved out of its location. She was. And put into storage or something. And it wasn't clear where it would reappear and there weren't real plans. And that's when production affords you an opportunity. Adversity is an opportunity. Yep. So we put our heads together and said, gosh, how would Kelsey and Liza get Diana back? What is a way? Where would Diana go when she was so upset? She's feeling underappreciated. Kelsey's been promoted ahead of her. She's feeling lied to, betrayed by her assistant and friend, Liza. Where would she go to drown her sorrows? And we've seen it before. She goes to Marie's crisis. So we said, why don't we use that? We've been there. And let's get Kelsey and Liza to go and and we're back that way with song. And that's even better than the other idea that we Yes, had. there's a sort of feeling in, in every room, but in our room professionally, where everyone's kind of thinking and it's heavy and it's quiet. And then someone says something like what Dottie just proposed. And all of a sudden, everybody's yelling at the same time. And they could sing this. They could do this. They could jump around like this. She'd be drunk. And every <laughs> you, know, you, could, you know that you're in the right 
area because suddenly everybody's revived and pitching a thousand ideas that are funny and fun. And why did we go with 9-5? Why, why that song? It was our first choice and just an instinctive choice. And a lot of times it doesn't clear. You don't get the song for right. legal reasons, and um, but we got our first choice. What a way to kick off season six, you know, with, with a scene that you guys, it, it's unlike anything you've ever done before. The I last agree. time they were Marie's, it was like silly and campy. This was like a performance. Uh, and it's almost half or a whole, two-thirds of the song. I mean, and the lyrics yeah. fit. That was another reason that I think the song locked in is that just the lyrics here and there really do match the sentiment of our characters. So we know that they really can sing, right? Obviously. Yeah, obviously. But were they really singing in the scene? No, they pre-recorded it. They pre-recorded it. That blows my yeah. mind. I actually heard, I, I'm, I'm, I knew the answer to that question. But they were, God, I mean, I don't know if I'm more impressed that they sounded so good or if they were so good at lip syncing. They were amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they were amazing. It was Dottie awesome. was there for the actual shooting day. I was there for the table day. Okay, so Dottie, tell us about shooting it and any production stories that you have to share. I have a good story for production day. The piano player at Marie's Crisis. Um, the real there one. Was, we were waiting for a shot to be set up, and Darren starts talking to the piano player, and Sutton's there too, Sutton Foster. And so... Um, Darren says, hey, Sutton, have you ever been here in real life when we're not shooting here? And she said, no, I never have. And Darren said, oh, we got to get together and come down here when it's just, you know, the regular clientele and, and it's on a weekend. And the piano player said, no, you cannot bring Sutton Foster here on a regular time or, or the place will literally explode into flames. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> As a total Marie's Crisis fan myself, um, that is a very accurate statement. Wow. It would be mayhem. <laughs> mayhem. Especially weekend. Maybe come with like a Tuesday with a hat yeah. on. I actually was there one time where Judy Dench was there. Wow. But it was like 4 o'clock on a Tuesday. That's the time yeah, she knew. Yeah, incognito. <laughs> Before we get out of this scene, so at the very end, after they're out of Marie's, Kelsey says something about, um, I, oh my God, in the 80s, I can't believe they only worked from 9 till 5. Whose line was that? That's mine. It's so good. It's just so good. <laughs> just, we, we were all talking earlier how funny that line was and how it stuck out oh. to us. And it's so true, right? I guess. Yeah. The good old days. <laughs> yeah, these, young, these young people work too much. <laughs> they do. It's technology. So this season of the podcast is giving me the chance to ask youngers, writers, so many of my burning questions about each and every episode. But there are some things that I just generally want to know, which brings us to our new segment. I'm calling it the five questions I ask every younger writer. Number one, how often do your own personal experiences end up in the script? Eric, I'm going to start with you. You tell some of yours, Dot. I don't know that I have a, a good personal life right into the show. Well, I have one that's for Eric. I... In season three, Liza slept with her ex-husband, and we were trying to make him be a little bit more appealing because he is such a jerk and didn't pay child support and is such a, you know. So we thought, what could make him charming? And Eric and I, one time we were in Barbados, and we heard this person play on steel drums, that um, disco version of Beethoven's Fifth. It was super corny, but... It was actually really cool. Yeah, it was I cool. I only found it tremendously amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was staring in rapture at all of them. There were like 10 steel drummers banging out the worst song ever and making it amazing somehow. 
So we thought maybe it was, that's what we pitched to Darren. Like maybe David could play the steel drums and it could really kind of bring the house down. But it ended up being an Italian restaurant and it ended up being an accordion. But that was definitely something that we brought uh, into the room and it morphed. But it started with an experience we had on vacation. I love that. I love when he plays the accordion. It is so nerdy, but it's so endearing. Yeah, and then he almost did it. They referred to it in, in dialogue again at the uh, Christmas episode. Okay, so question number two. What's your favorite scene or line that you've written for Younger and why? I'll, I'll go way back to okay. uh, just because at the beginning you're so uncertain. Like, what is the show? Who is Darren? Like, am I going to get fired next week? You know, you don't really know where you stand. Would, it, would our characters say this or would they only say this? You know, everything is still undecided in, in so many ways. And I just remember having uh, a fun, uh, memorable time writing this little scene um, where Diana's asking Liza in season one for help with some photos at first for her dating website. She's not getting enough hits. And then she gets a hit and goes rushing into the office, which was so funny and adorable. And she hears it in the distance and runs in to her office because there's a faint alarm bonging or something. And she comes in and, and she got a hit and it's this wonderful man. And she asks Liza for help in responding. And Liza says something about Shakespeare for Diana in the email back to this guy, and he responds quickly with a rhyme. And then Diana says, oh, my God, he's rhyming. Type something fast. Make it good. You know, and suddenly Liza has to come up with a rhyme and response, and and it all works out. And it just came out very easy and then very funny, and then it all stayed in the script, and then it happened. And and it was just that feeling of, like, oh, maybe the show, you know, includes you. you Oh, Sweet. Which was nice, yeah. Um, Dottie? I think the moment I'm most proud of is Manhattan Henge. I don't know if the viewers remember that, but yes. there's a day yes. where the sun aligns with the grid of Manhattan, and it, you can see all the way down 42nd Street, the sun setting into the Hudson. And it's, you know, I had read about it, and then I liked the idea of the universe aligning and a moment in time and the sun going down. And I thought it was so poetic and so representative of Josh and Liza's relationship because it lined up for a moment in time, but it really couldn't continue. And so we tried to get it in the season before, but then we finally, I mean, I was running around up in Tudor City on 42nd Street on the bridge, taking photos of it, doing, you know, taking video of it, bringing it into the room. And so I was so proud when it finally made it to air. And I thought it was really just a beautiful moment for their relationship. Amazing. I actually didn't even know that existed. I've been a New Yorker for well over a decade. I didn't even know it existed until I watched that episode. So thank you. Yay. Yep. Um, Number three, have you ever had to fight for something to get into an episode? Usually you fight with your network or your studio, and we just don't have that relationship with TV Land. They're so supportive and so creative. Keith Cox and everybody over there, they let us do what we want, even when they disagree. Like, we had an episode with a sheep that was... I remember. (laughs) ...questionable, (laughs) to say the least. But, you know, Keith said, hey, you know what? That's kind of risky and kind of pushing uh, the boundaries there, but... We trust you guys. We're red flagging it for you as something that's a concern, but we trust you, and you guys do what you do. And then he lived up to that, too. He didn't just say it. Yeah, I feel like we we don't fight. That's so nice. And yeah. I feel it's very in line with, like, what we always hear about Younger, is that, like, it's just a wonderful dream-like place to work and job to have. Yeah. That 
should be out there. Um, number four, which character would you most want to hang out with in real life and why? Let's start with you, Eric. I would like to be around Josh and Charles at the same time. That would be sort of, <laughs> that's always where I, I can't help it. I end up thinking about those two most, and I know they're not the main characters of the show, but every time they, there's a chance they might see each other, that I'm always interested. I'd like to be in that room when they are talking over a drink about their times with Liza. Um, Dottie, how about you? Who would you like to hang out with? I like the scene when it's the four girls. I want to be one of them. Lauren, Kelsey, Liza, and Maggie. I, I want to be one of them. I wish Diana was in that, too. I just, I like the nurturing group female friendship themes, and I want to be part of it. I know. I want to be on that couch in the loft drinking wine with them. Exactly. Me, too. Me, too. I always have to pour a glass of wine whenever they pour wine. Which so I'm, and I watch the episodes during the day. So a lot of day drinking going on. Um, and last question, number five. What's the best thing about working on this show? Dottie, you go first. There's so many good things, but I'm going to pick Sutton Foster. Uh-huh. She's a dream. She is so talented, so humble, so dedicated, so kind. And season after season after season. True. It's just, it's amazing, and I'm an author. That says it all. Well, Dottie and Eric, thank you so much for taking time to go way behind the scenes of Younger for this season six premiere. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. And I am not the only one who cannot wait to see where the season goes. I'm so excited, as I'm sure you guys are too. I'll be back after next week's episode and every new episode to discuss it all. I'm Taylor Strecker, and this is Younger Uncovered. 